Bongiorno from Superhouse Bois. Welcome to episode 33 of Superhouse, everyone. I am Andrew, coming in from Los Angeles. And this week it's just going to be me because the rest of the guys are super busy. But I kind of lie because it's not just me. I have with me an old friend from Japan. His name is Mark Reichwine. Hello, hello. Thanks for coming, That's man. Me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and where are you hailing from? I am in Osaka Prefecture in Japan, and that's where I am, yes. <laughs> How long have you been there? I've been here now <clears throat> 10 years. Um, yeah, 10 years. And, uh, well, okay, yeah. Osaka, I mean, I haven't been in Osaka my whole, the whole 10 years, but, you know, Japan in general. Okay, and just to give a little bit of a history here, uh, I taught Japan. And, I taught English in Japan from uh, 2006 to 2009. Um, I think it was about three years, three months for me. And uh, Mark and I worked together at that time. And Mark was actually a Japanese teacher of mine for a hot second for like a two <laughs> or three months because one of the companies had this program about it kind of wanted you to graduate from teaching and go into other jobs in Japan. And doing that, you needed to learn Japanese. And I guess they had no actual Japanese people. So Mark had passed <laughs> what's known as the N1 test. It's, it's like passing the, the bar of Japanese tests. So they made him teach us. Yeah. Well, they kind of asked us. They asked a few of us at that company to do it. And then and they said they'd pay us. So, of course, we were like, yeah, sure. So, Right. So that was kind of an interesting time. We were all in Saitama at the time, right? Yep. Saitama is an area just a little bit north of Tokyo, and I like to call it the New Jersey of to of Japan, <laughs> if Tokyo is New York. Yeah, so, that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's like the best way to put it. It's like right near it, but not quite as good, mm -hmm. a little dirtier. Yeah. Um, and you hear Mark's progeny in the background. Yeah, so my two daughters, that daughter right now you just heard was Luca, and the other one is Nico, and they're just hanging out at the breakfast table. Is she the crazy one that I met? Um, let's see, you met, you I met, met both of them? Or only I met one of them? both, but one was crazier than the other. Yeah, that's the, the second one. The younger one, yeah. Yeah, the younger one, she's definitely crazy. Okay, so... Dude, so let's take it from the beginning with you. What? Okay. How did you get into Japanese stuff in general? Um, very first time I got interested in Japan or Japanese was when I was in high school, about sophomore, junior, and a friend of mine lent me a tape of Japanese anime, and. It was all in Japanese with English subtitles, and that was the first time I had heard the language. And when I listened to it, I just thought it sounded like the most amazing. Well, I don't know, the most amazing, but it sounded so great to me that I just thought, up until that point, I had always wanted to learn an, a second language. So, and I had tried different languages learning on my own, 
they never did it for me but once i heard japanese i thought it was just sounded so good and i had to learn it so that's what drew me to come to japan so what was the anime it was some i don't know how obscure it is but it's it was called devil hunter yoko okay and it was just some it was kind of like a sailor moon type thing except more gritty and more nudity <laughs> and it was just <laughs> kind of like that is weird but i don't know why my friend let me borrow it but you had basically no interest in japan before that i didn't really know anything about japan before that i was like i had watched some animes but in english and i thought they were cool but i never really thought i never connected them to japan it was just always like oh it's just a cool cartoon you know and then but then it connected when I saw one in, in the original Japanese. And from that point on, I mean, what like did you start playing more Japanese games, or was it mainly anime, or was there any other thing from Japan you were into, or just that? I had actually already been playing games that were made in Japan, and even with those, I wasn't, I didn't really connect the two very much. It was just always like, oh, it's a cool game. And then, but then I started getting more uh, into it, and I realized some of my favorite games were made in Japan. And I would look up a screenshot of like the Japanese Final Fantasy VII or something like that, and I would think, "Whoa, this is in Japanese. This is this is awesome. I I got to learn this language, you know." And so that's part of it. Yeah, for me, like I think I probably said this before on other podcasts, but. Uh, it was probably first a little bit of gaming. Like, mm -hmm. I was aware that Nintendo was a Japanese company and uh, mm -hmm. Sega was as well, and those were the two big ones in the 90s. And then when PlayStation came out, Sony was also Japanese. But on top of that, um, my introduction to anime was actually on the Sci-Fi channel mm -hmm. where it was, like, really grotesque anime. Like, mm -hmm. my first few were, like, Ghost in the Shell and Akira. There was one called Demon City Shinjuku, one called Eight Man After, uh, hmm. stuff like that. Neo Geo actually had a game for Eight Man After. It was pretty popular in Japan. The, the main story from RoboCop was actually stolen, or they, they stole the story for RoboCop from Eight Man After. Really? I had never even heard of that anime yeah. before. Yeah, it was uh it's like a like a hero type of thing but uh kind of gory. So for me, mm -hmm. unlike a generation just after me with Pokémon and stuff like that, Yu-Gi-Oh, my and Dra even Dragon Ball, mm -hmm. my introduction was like gory cartoons. Oh, Ninja Scroll was another <laughs> big one. Oh yeah, I know that one. So <laughs> for the longest time, that's what I viewed anime as not as like a cutesy type of thing mm -hmm. um so i was really into that for a while and yeah that's kind of yeah. like that's kind of like the first anime i that i realized was japanese like i said it had some nudity in it and it was also kind of violent right but then yeah so it was kind of the same it was like you, you i mean the the closest we got like to anything adult in american cartoons for, that i noticed at the time was homer simpson saying damn sometimes yeah. on fox yeah like, other than that like there was nothing like that i mean i i there there was i mean there was heavy metal the the movie the cart the animated movie but i wasn't mm -hmm. aware of that as a kid 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't aware of anything like that. So that stuff was interesting. But um, so you went to college. You started to get really hardcore in Japan. And you, did you study yep. by yourself before going to college or what? Yep. Um, so after I got into it, I started trying to learn on my own like I had done before with other languages. So I would, in high school, I just made flashcards for all the alphabet, the Japanese alphabets, and then trying to learn, you know, phrases and stuff like that. And I was also involved with um, a program called AFS, which is a student exchange program for other countries. And I started... I applied to go to Japan through that because even before that I was kind of I was helping out voluntarily with them and then I thought okay I got to do this on my own I got to try this so so in high school I went for a summer through that program to Japan and during that summer we did some study and then had a host family and then I went then I came back and that was only like a couple months but then yeah before I graduated I did that and then uh, yeah, and then when I graduated high school, I went straight to college and started studying more. Your college, your, like your degree was in Japanese or what? Yeah, it was Japanese major. Yep. How far do you get? Like, let's say you start from zero year one, mm-hmm. like no pre-studying in college. Mm-hmm. By the time you graduate college, if like four years, what's your level like? Definitely conversational level. Um, like even if I didn't have any experience before college, I would have. Even just for those four years of college, I, it was such a good program that I would recommend from Ohio State University's program. That. Okay. You know, pretty good conversational level just from going for four years, and okay. not even going to Japan, you wouldn't even have to go. And so, like, let's fast forward a little bit. So you graduate college and then you move to Japan. Yep, right away. I didn't even go to my graduation ceremony for LSU. Because like, I applied and they said, okay, you have to be here at this time. And I was like, okay, I'll just miss my ceremony. So then I went. Wow. And that was that. And that was when that was the same. That was the company that we met. At. That's right. Yeah. Let's, let's not say any names. But yeah, we met this company <laughs> in Saitama. And then we switched mm-hmm. companies also in Saitama. Yeah, but uh, man, those are crazy times, dude. Yeah, it was right fun. out of college, living in Japan. Yeah, it was, and it was like I don't know about you. Maybe it was the same for you, but it was, it was my first real job. I there it goes. There goes. <laughs> oh, she, she's going. Yep. Um. Yeah, it actually was my first job outside of college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So same here. Yeah, my first work experience, and what's what's funny is, like after moving back to America I noticed like how much like Japanese culture had affected me mm-hmm. like there were times where I was working at a company in LA where I was doing QC quality control mm-hmm. for blu-ray discs and mm-hmm. I would write in my notes it seems like this it seems like that a lot mm-hmm. and that it wasn't a seems technically it was just it really is that way right but I was writing that as like a softener and like somebody had like pointed it out to me. They're like, stop saying seem so much. <laughs> so I, I think cause like your first job outside of 
your first real job, I guess it can leave an impression on you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, and it also like, it kind of, um, you kind of lose part of the, your original culture though too, because all your friends back home, they have jobs in, you know, your home country in America and you have a totally different job experience than them. And you go home and it's like, people are talking about their jobs and a lot of things are the same, but there's a good amount that's different about working in Japan than working in America. So it's kind of like we lose that corporate culture that's American corporate culture in a way. Yeah. I mean, we don't have the nomikai a lot. A nomikai is like a, a, like a company party. It technically means drink party. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, uh, there's like not a lot of that. Like I don't, my coworkers right now, none of us hang out at all after work. Oh, really? Like not ever. And no one even like hardly anyone goes out to eat lunch together. Mm. So that part kind of sucks. Mm. Yeah, that's, I like that too about Japan actually. It's really cool. Like everyone wants to, you know, get together and try, you know, try to, make connections and be friendly well i mean i'm kind of on the whole but not everyone but but yeah it's like you know going out with your you know your senpai your uh what's the word senpai most people even understand that now in english man yeah yeah Did just you know going that? out with a co yeah your, really your superior yeah, your superior, or even not, you doesn't have to be your superior. Just yeah, going out with friends and talking to, and you know shitting, uh, bullshitting around, you know, just yeah, it's, it's nice. Like it's weird, like especially in nerd culture, a lot of people know what the word senpai is just because of anime and shit. <laughs> yeah, right. There's that whole like senpai noticed me thing on the internet. Yeah. Um, on I'm Reddit sure it, and everywhere else. Yeah, I'm sure people who are into anime and stuff, they're what they feel when they hear the word senpai is probably so much different than what a normal person would feel when they hear the word senpai. It's like, I don't know. I have just a feeling. What's your feeling? Like nervousness? No, like, like to me, it's more like a normal kind of word. It's just like a normal thing. Oh, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes, you know, I, even I was like that when I was into anime and stuff when I was a kid. I mean, you would like glorify everything. It's like, oh senpai or all these japanese words that you start learning and it's like but then once you get into the culture it's like this is just normal stuff it's not like it's not cutesy anime land right there's a lot of disillusionment that happens mm -hmm. and yeah I, like i said i was like that i was i used to be kind of an I, anime geek yeah i was like that as well um especially with like console gaming still am to some degree but mm -hmm definitely a lot less than before so you graduate college you go there immediately did you what was like your culture shock kind of at the beginning did you have any um the very first time i went when i was in high school or when i was working give me like your best culture shock story if you have one i would say well just the normal culture shock that most people get where so the very first, I mean, the very, very first day I went to Japan when I was in high school, they basically got off the plane, went to the hotel, and right away, even before we had to go to sleep, they they pretty much 
made us all go into an onsen together. <laughs> and and it was like, come on, it's our first day and we all have to get naked right away. It's like, right. oh man. So, so that was it. An onsen, for people that don't know, that's a hot spring. It's like a like a bathhouse, but it's a natural hot spring that like, literally from the ground usually. Yeah. Yeah, man. So that was that was kind of pushing it for me. I I was just like tired. I'm like, okay, yeah, Japan. I'm excited, but come on, right? I gotta ease into this thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I did it. I've only been in onsen twice, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a relaxing time. It would be more relaxing. Like I've done it a lot, but I would much rather still be alone. I'm I'm still not Japanese enough to just be like enjoying it with other people because that's another thing co-workers do they'll go to like onsens together and they're cool it's just like you know get naked no big right no big deal. right 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 and i'm cool with that like like ideally i think that's i mean it's no big deal but like just my personal feeling i'm still very american about it i'm still very you know i want to be by myself i don't want to hang around with guys naked you know? <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> right so, do you think, like, I'm just jumping off of what you just said, do you think that you're 10 years in, you got two kids there, you're, you, you married there, you have a job there, mm -hmm. do you think that your coworkers, and you speak fluently, basically, like, do you think your coworkers think you're Japanese enough? I think so, yeah. Um, there's never, I feel like I'm accepted as just you know one of the just a normal worker there at the company that you know it's mostly japanese and all the people i work directly right now with i mean there there are no west there are no western foreigners on my floor there's foreigners in the sense that there's some asian uh country people from some asian countries nearby south korea and china usually right yeah, like China and yeah, I don't know about any Koreans, but but yeah, like some other like that. But I mean, as far as Western English speaking goes, it's just you know it's just me on the floor, and then so I think I feel accepted, and there's no real barrier there. It's not like you know I just get along just like everyone else. And uh, so can we like I, I guess we can't say your company name, but can we yeah. say what you do? Um. Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> no company names. But no company the, names. The thing is, it's like if, even if I don't say the company name, if I say what I do, it's it's so easy to just be like, okay, Google search. Oh, okay. there it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I mean, right. let's just say I'm a translator. I mean, that's that's enough. I'm, I'm we a can translator. Japanese to English. Yep, Japanese to English. Right, and that's all we'll say. So, and that includes so writing and also spoken interpretation for meetings and stuff like that. Oh, really? Interpreting, yeah. What's harder? Probably the spoken one, right? Um, yeah, it's well, it's it is harder. I like I I used to think it was like so in the beginning, it's really hard. You know, it's it's you're on the spot. It's like, 
you have to keep the conversation moving. You can't be sitting there going, um, 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 all the time, all the time. But once you get used to it, it's actually not that bad. It's just like basically just being in a conversation and just be like, oh, he said this. Oh, he said this. Oh, he said this. And it's not too bad after a while. So I think the actual translation part, I think it's more, it, I think it requires more thought because you, you have to sometimes be really creative or, and you, you're trying to make the text as, you know, high quality as possible. And so you're kind of pressured on that kind of pressures there to make it good and high quality. But when you're in an interpreting for someone, it's not like you have to say everything perfect and make it, and it's not, it's not going to be printed and going out to go on Uh, sale or anything, you know, Right. it's just like you and some guys and then you just got to get it, get the, get it across and it's not going to be judged, you know? So that's in a way, in a sense, interpreting is a little easier, I think. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that at all. Yeah, I actually wouldn't have thought that. I didn't think that in the beginning either. So like, how do you feel about like, a lot of people say you can't like learn a language completely like past puberty. That's what Naom Chomsky says. It's like a famous linguist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like you've pretty much done it like post high school kinda mm-hmm. so like do you have any advice for people out there cause like this is kind of a big one there's a lot of people that want to learn Japanese you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah my advice is always <clears throat> excuse me um, just you gotta get speaking you gotta find someone who speaks and speak with that person you just got to find someone that's willing and who knows the language that's a native. Otherwise it's just going to be you on your own. You can learn the grammar and that's, it's totally cool to study all the grammar on your own and everything. But if you really want to talk, you really just got to find a friend. Right. Or in my case, I had a girlfriend early on when I started living in Japan. Right. That really, really helps. Yeah. People always say that's the fastest way. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I first started learning and started like saying just sentences, I wasn't used to that because I had only taken Spanish in high school and the teacher couldn't speak. Or it was mm-hmm. in Georgia, there weren't there were literally no Latinos or anybody that could speak Spanish natively in the whole school. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. So a lot of people from California especially can't believe that, but <laughs> it's true and <laughs> It was a small school for one, but yeah. So, oh, okay. so, like, no speaking another language practice ever in my life until after I was outside of out of college. Oh much. wow! So it was so difficult uh, and awkward, you know, because you gotta mm-hmm. like. There's a lots of like factors that no one ever brings up, like, especially in the beginning, if you're speaking like all day. Mm-hmm. or you're you're just fumbling through it out all day like mm-hmm. you're you get what i would call language fatigue yeah your brain gets tired like it's oh a yeah ki- it's a kind of fatigue that you haven't had in a long time it feels like you've done homework for like all day all day kind of yeah That's, i remember that <laughs> yeah and no one ever says anything about that like hmm. when you're learning no one ever told me about all these like quote-unquote side effects yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, and that's weird. I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but yeah, I totally remember having that fatigue. I think everybody has like goes through it. 
Yeah, I would think so, yeah. So, um, like, let's move on from there. And uh, you have been a gamer your whole life, you said. And I, what I thought was very interesting was you were the first guy that ever told me, like, Mother or Earthbound was your favorite game of all time. That's still true, correct? Uh, yes. My favorite game of all time. Yes. That's still true. <laughs> so I just listened to this podcast called, uh, it's under the Laser Time Podcast uh, Network. And all they did was talk about Mother and all the different versions and all that. So it made me think mm -hmm. of you again. And I still haven't played it. But if you could mm -hmm. just, like, like, let us know, like, why, why this game? Why not Chrono Trigger or something else? Chrono Trigger was, like, uh, my second favorite for a long time, actually. But uh, it's just a weird... It's something you can't really explain. Ex well, you can explain it, but it's just a feeling more than... Uh, it's more of a feeling and other than playing a game and enjoying it a lot. It's, it's all about feelings with this game, basically. So the story is um, I was all into RPGs when I was in high school, and... So there was Chrono Trigger, like Final Fantasy three, and then, um, so I was all into that. And then I heard about this game called Earthbound. I think the, I mean, I didn't just hear about it. The very first time I saw it is before I even heard about it. I was in Walmart or something, and they had one of those games, like monitors where it would show previews of upcoming games and you could like choose which game you wanted to see a preview for. And there's just like a monitor sitting there in the game section. And I saw this game and it was Earthbound. And the graphics were so different from all the other traditional RPGs I was used to seeing. You weren't in and high school at this time, right? You, this was, yeah. you were? This was 95. So I should have been my first year of high school. Or maybe I, I was, were, I didn't no, know maybe you were that I was, far ahead of me. I might've been eighth grade. Because how, 90, how old are you? How old are you? I am shit. <laughs> I am thirty. Okay, I'm starting to forget now. You forgot. Oh my god. I'm thirty-four. Okay, I'll be turning thirty-five in two months. Yeah. Okay, so you're basically three years older than me. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, sorry. I was like, okay. <laughs> I thought we were the same age for a second there. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty close. Uh, so yeah, I just saw that and. It just gave me this feeling that was, it's kind of like love at first sight with a video game, pretty much. That's very interesting. <laughs> it's really, really weird. But yeah, I just got this really, like, really warm feeling when I saw the game, the graphics and the, and just, just this whole atmosphere just like drew me in. And that's, that's why I love it. It's just about nostalgia kind of now, but because I right. mean, most, most things are like that anyway. Right. But it just has a special place you know, with me. So let me try to explain this again. Sorry, I got to explain a few things to the listener. So Earthbound is an JRPG. It was called Mother in Japan because of the John, of John Lennon, I think. I the, the creator liked a John Lennon song with Mother in it or something like that. That's, like that's possible. the only I reason. I remember reading something like that. But I mean, the game itself, I mean, it does have a theme that's i mean it doesn't the word the t title of the game does have something to do with the game itself it's 
because you are a kid and you lo- you leave your home and you have to keep talking to your mother as you go through the game uh. because there's a thing in the game where you get homesick at certain times during the game it's and then you have to talk to your mother or you're not going to get over being homesick and being homesick is kind of like a status ailment it kind of affects you in, yeah it affects you in battles and so i mean so it does make sense for the game okay too. and this game is even though it's an rpg it's not a fantasy game in the slightest it's actually and again i haven't played it. i'm going to get to it soon but from what i've heard it's kind of feels like it's japanese people in love with american culture and trying to recreate something like the goonies but make it into a video game yep it's yeah it's how japan sees american culture and i think it does a good job uh because it's set it's set in america and and it's set in you'll see in the very intro it says 1990x so it's set in that in a modern time modern for that time right and like this game at the time was like not really a hit and some of that had to do with their marketing campaign yep if you remember in the game magazines Again, I'm kind of getting this from Laser Time, but like they were trying to copy like the Nickelodeon thing where they were like trying to be a little bit gross, like Ren and Stimpy or something. But that didn't really reflect what the game was like at all. Like there were literally like little tab- tabs to like pull out in the in the magazine to to sniff. I remember these. Oh yeah, I I had those cuz I had those magazines too. And I, I really, I was one of the people that loved that marketing campaign, and it actually brought me in even more. Really? Uh, yeah, because the slogan was, "This game stinks." Was the slogan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved it. I was like, and then all the cards stunk, and they had little things from the game, like screenshots of things in the game, where it would make you feel like, oh, this is a part of the game where if you could smell what was going on, it was, it was rank, and. I just thought that was cool. <laughs> but did it reflect the game people. at all, though? I think it did, because there's a lot of things in the game where it's like, it's very, um, it's kind of rough, meaning, I mean, they'll say, they'll talk in ways that it's not, like, disgusting, but there's, like, fart, no, there's, like, burp sound effects, there's there's mentions of things i mean like there's a character in the game who farts and (laughs) i mean there's just little things like that it's not like over the top it's not like all over the place but i mean it's sprinkled in here and there and so i think it kind of matches the feeling of the game a little bit yeah it seems like the game is also kind of like achieved cult status it's you even said you went to like a a mother convention in japan Yep, in Japan, they have them just whenever... They don't have them regularly, but whenever they get around to it, I guess. It's just fans that do it. It's kind of like those anime uh, doujinshi. That's like fan-created comics. So they sell a lot of like fan-created comics based on Mother and fan-created merchandise. And they do it not to make a profit, pretty much, and but they just do it just to celebrate the game and 
and meet people and dress up as characters and stuff like that. Does that happen for a lot of games over there, like like Metroid or anything like that? Because I never heard of like a something over here for just one game like that. I'm actually not too sure because by the time I started living in Japan, I stopped being an anime freak and I didn't keep I didn't keep up with the anime culture, so I don't really know. But even in America, we have um, Earthbound is has its own. It's like. The Earthbound fan community is, I think, pretty well known in the gaming community um, as being just kind of crazy and very, very, uh, what's the word? Uh, what's the word? Rabid fan base. Yeah, and they're not like, they're not a bad fan base, so maybe saying they're crazy is not the right word, but I mean, they're very dedicated that's the word yeah yeah okay everyone's very dedicated in keeping it alive and keeping the love going and i mean there's a big website and a big community and i was part of that community and yeah and they had conventions they've had conventions almost every year since like 1999 or 2000-ish or so were you upset whenever they canceled uh, Earthbound 64? Yeah, I was I was definitely watching that as it went on and being like, "All right, yes. Yes, a new a new Earthbound game. Yes." And then when it didn't happen, that was pretty sad. Everyone as, was As of the time of this recording, there was like this past Tuesday, I think, this mm -hmm. YouTube channel called Metal Jesus Rocks mm -hmm. uh he does like a lot of uh, retro gaming stuff on his on his channel and he had this special on like canceled games and like i think one of the first ones was earthbound 64 like they were trying they're kind of lamenting over these games that were canceled oh really yeah, yeah. and but the good there's a happy story there's a happy ending to that though because earthbound 64 ended up being re repurposed into mother 3 for um, Game Boy Advance, which did come out, but it came out in Japan only. Right. I got so to that tell was you, really every nice. time somebody online, because this happens a lot in, in retro gaming forums or videos or whatever, they're like, you got to know a lot of Japanese to play it. And then I'm like, <laughs> I can play it. <laughs> Sorry, but just like all this study, want to be able to play some games like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a big hurdle that a lot of people that are into this stuff just they don't have the time for or whatever. But right. um, But, but yeah. now that there's a English translation. It's a fanlation or whatever? Yep, fan translation by a good friend named Clyde, aka Tomato. Wait, you know him, right? Personally? Yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, like I said, we went. I went to a lot of the conventions, and he was at some of them. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so they're all really cool people. So from the time whenever we were living in the same town as each other, to now, like mm -hmm. you've had two kids and you've gotten married. Yep. Like, other That's than true. that, how has your life in Japan changed, or how has Japan changed 
to you and your in your perspective um from my perspective nothing ever changes really it's just the same old through my eyes i'm a very very indoor person and i'm i don't pay attention to my surroundings and i just worry about me and my world <laughs> god it's just it's just the truth i've ever since i was a kid i've just always been in my own world and things happening around me are just whatever and i'm just happy doing my own thing and so i don't know nothing really changed except for obviously being married and having kids it's now my world is all about like it's like a job it's like a new job i have it's right when my kids are awake my job is to take care of them and make keep them happy and then when they go to bed then it's like all right now it's me time right so that's the big change that's the biggest thing what was it like i mean this is a very general question but do you have any like anecdotes stories or anything about having kids in japan um any story that kind of stands out yeah i think i do i'm sure i do like um hmm. just some funny things that happen when you have when you have kids in Japan who are half Japanese and half you know not it's just all the funny kind of weird things that you have to see happen with that for example like every time your daughters see a foreigner on the street they assume they're Oh, it's daddy's friend. It's like, it's like, oh, no, but I can see what you're thinking. Uh, get that we from. could be friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And sometimes even Japanese people think that I even maybe, but even adults, I don't think that maybe might be totally true. But sometimes I get that feeling that Japanese people think we're all we have. Our, we're like a team or something like that. It's like we all know each other, but. It's, I mean, but, yeah. But we're just we're just strangers to each other, just like anyone else. So <laughs> they're just not used to it, you know. Like they're that's like the whole idea of another race. Like mm -hmm. in America, we're bombarded with it every second of our lives. Mm -hmm. But like in Japan, it's like this thing that's like they don't really deal with ever, really. Like, right. So that's like one of the biggest culture shocks I had. Like I even like after. A year or two, uh, living there, I remember, like, in Kichijoji or something, we went to, like, uh, what's that one that's, like, Yoshinoya, but, but shittier? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, Matsuya. Suki. It was Matsuya. Uh, Matsuya, yeah, okay. I didn't like that one that much, but the, we walked actually, in. You might have been with us, dude, actually. Some, yeah. It was me, Mike, and you, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we walk in, and this old Japanese woman walks out, and she goes in Japanese, "All you guys look the same," <laughs> and then just leaves. <laughs> and we were like, I think wow. I was there. Yeah, I think I was there, been. and then I didn't hear it. But then you guys started like laughing or something. I was like, "What happened? What happened?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to to be fair, you and I look sort of similar. Right, right, like kind of yeah i can see that we can sort of see with mike didn't look, we didn't look like him at all 
Right. <laughs> but I remember speaking about that when we were in um, Fujimino. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the kids would always get us mixed up. Like they yeah. would say, hey to you, and then you wouldn't say hey back because you didn't know them. Yeah. And then they would get mad at me for not saying hey to them. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> I didn't really realize it either. I was just, I was, but yeah, that's that's hilarious. I don't yeah. think I had the opposite though. I don't think any of my kids did that and said hey to you though. I think Maybe you came into didn't. contact with my students more than the other way right. around. Right. But it's just like I couldn't help but feel like, man, you guys just can't tell white people apart at all. <laughs> <laughs> like at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think I even had a lot shorter hair even maybe yeah my hair was maybe. always longer but not as long as it is now they they I remember yeah. one teacher the English teacher he could speak English and I couldn't speak much Japanese at the time he came up to mm-hmm. me and he said like something really indirect in English like mm-hmm. have you ever thought about what haircuts are like <laughs> so, oh so, my god <laughs> something something really indirect like that yeah, yeah. And so I was new there. Called. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What are? Do you know what it's like going to get your hair cut? No, even that's too direct. Something very, di- very direct. You mean very, I mean, very, in- very indirect? Yeah. Very around the, around the bush. <laughs> and it was interesting to hear it in English too. But that's what he said. And then I got my hair oh, cut man. like over that weekend, just to, you know, not get a complaint, but. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't trying to get fired. Uh, yeah. Or even have my name brought up at a meeting. Yeah. Oh man, during that time, I was I was really scared of being fired. Like, cause you know how they in the very beginning they gave us like, um, these training sessions, and they would say, it's I guess it's cool to say we are teachers. Yeah, we are. That's not that's not a big deal. So we are teaching kids, right? So. And they would train us to be like, you know, don't give these kids the wrong, like, impression or don't touch them. Don't go hang out with them. And, you know, you could be you can get a lot of trouble, even if you're even if you even if you're just a nice guy and you don't have any wrong intentions, you know, things can be taken the wrong way. And, you know, it's kids, you know, and you're a teacher. You don't want things to be taken the wrong way. So. I was always like scared, like I didn't want to. I don't want. I, I was like, whenever a kid like tried to touch me, I would be like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Don't touch me! Don't touch oh, me! I yeah, don't want to get fired!" Yeah, they would try to do that to me all the time too, and I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah, and like like a girl one day, she like gave me a big hug, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I just like kind of like like tried to scramble away, and I felt really bad because it kind of hurt her feelings a little bit, and I was right. like, "Oh man!" But still. It was kind of a scary time being a teacher. Were you, I forget, were you middle school or elementary? I was both. The first year was middle school and the sec- the second year was elementary. And then after that, at the, my next company, I did three more years of elementary. Okay. I did like a day of elementary. I just couldn't take it. It was, <laughs> I liked the kids, but I didn't like, I didn't like making lesson plans and being in there solo. Oh, all. right. Not at all. Yeah, it's it's definitely very, very different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the kids are happier, I felt like. 
Oh yeah, it's like the involvement and the enthusiasm is great to see them like be like yay or something like that, you know. <laughs> Another culture shock I had when I was there was like to explain to the listener again in their PE classes they'll like stack the kids up like a pyramid. Mhm. Mm like literally all the the kids are on all fours and then another kid like will will put his hands and feet on two other kids like on their yeah. backs so they're all on all fours like kind of on top of each other making this like human pyramid thing mm -hmm. and it's like a huge thing with kids over there yep and i couldn't help but feel like this would never happen in america yeah I had one never kid would fall down before. one kid would be too fat something like that <laughs> a parent would sue the fuck out of the school yeah like this there's no fucking way this is gonna happen in america yeah that's true even i i saw on tv like maybe a couple years ago they were doing a thing about that in japan in japan and uh there are some schools that do huge pyramids and pretty much every year some kid gets hurt like really seriously hurt injured and there's even in been japan? De deaths yeah in japan Jeez, and they're like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's rare, but there have been deaths, because I mean, the pyramid is freaking huge, and that's a lot of kids tumbling down on each other, and the person on the bottom in the middle, that kid is gonna be crushed, or suffocated, or something, you know. So, yeah, that's that's, and they were talking about on the show, they were saying, maybe we should, we need to limit this, we shouldn't get any bigger than a certain, you know, number of kids, and. And I'm thinking, yeah, duh. <laughs> I mean, like, there was a part of me, though, that, that I kind of like seeing it because A, it was different. And mm -hmm. B, it made me feel like Americans are just so careful and so legalistic. Mm -hmm. Like, like I said, like somebody would sue you because of that because their kid got a fucking bruise. Yeah. Or something like that. Like, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I think that's definitely crossing the line. It's definitely a cool thing to do, as long as you're not like, like I said, going like, fifty kids into a huge pyramid, right. where they fall and break all their arms and stuff like that. Does it? I mean, is there? Are they thinking that it's just fun, or do they look at it as like a team building exercise? Or I think it's like a team building exercise, definitely, because they're very much about teaching kids, working together, working as a team, working for the group. You know. Right, right, right. Group mentality. That so was definitely there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I also saw that a lot. I remember uh, my first day teaching. Um, I. We they were all like in Japan. You make you make the food in the room, or like you put it on your uh, tray. Like you, you get like all these like batches or whatever, and you put the food on the trays. Like and make you make the trays, right? Yeah, so basically, the kids are the cafeteria workers. <laughs> right. It comes pre-cooked, but yeah, they put it on. They get it all ready for each other. But my first day was just in the faculty room, not with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I got my food, put it on my tray, and got, went to go sit sit down. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about like, oh, this I gotta make this for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was the same way. It's like, come on, you get your food, 
then you start eating and that's the like, that's normal but then everyone's like no everyone has to be up standing making sure everyone has what they need and you have to be moving around you have to be getting things ready and then you sit down but then you don't eat you have to make sure everyone's ready to eat it's like okay everyone eat you got to say itadakimasu it's like okay geez my food's getting cold let's just eat when we get right, our food right 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 if everyone ate when they got their own food everyone would be eating a warm meal because everyone gets their own food and they get it right away and they start eating you sound like you're almost kind of against this <laughs> uh i'm not against it but i'm like i'm against it to a going too far like, like i think it's eat, cool to help eat out your food while it's warm basically. yeah like i think it's cool to help out but i mean it shouldn't be expected that it's like oh you didn't get everyone's plate it's like come on get your own plate it's right there it's like I don't know. I just think it just needs to be more casual. I mean, right. casual for the teachers, at least. I mean, sure, maybe you teach the kids, you know, responsibility and stuff. But I mean, if you're just teachers in the room by yourselves, it's like, right? Come, on, let's just let's just I, eat lunch. I remember like my Japanese was so low when I first moved there. Like, I remember like them saying itadakimasu before they ate, mm -hmm. and I was thinking, what's this prayer they're saying, and why? <laughs> I thought like religion wasn't supposed to be in schools here. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know anything, and I remember when one of the other English teachers said "dame" to another English teacher, like in training or something, and I was like, "What's dame?" Like I had, mm -hmm. I moved there with like no ability at all. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that must have been huge. Like I mean, a huge shock then. Wow. That's why, like, I studied like crazy man like remember mike he mm -hmm. had come in with like a year or two of a japanese minor or something mm -hmm. and then after like six months or so i was ahead of his ass really wow i studied mm -hmm. my ass off nice i just i couldn't stand not understanding things yeah right and the, when you work in the middle schools they just let you study in the faculty room Right. When you're, when you're not uh, helping out or going to a going into a class. Right. That was really nice. That that was a big help for me as well. Actually, studying and I mean I had no, I knew it, uh, enough Japanese, but still I wasn't like at the level that I could have been. So yeah, I studied a whole lot. Do you feel like I mean you must, but do you feel like you're still learning? Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, little things here and there, I'll be like, I'll think to myself, oh, I thought it was kind of this way, but in reality, it's more this way for everyone. It's just little things here and there. Right. And I'm not talking about, like, learning new words and stuff, because everyone can learn new words. I mean, that's... You never know all the words of Japanese. Not even Japanese people know all the words of Japanese. Right, right, right. But it's more like kind of like feeling and meaning and intention, all right. that, these little things about behind the language that you kind of come to learn. What's, what's, I'm kind of getting over this now, but like what's been a problem for me in the past was like when you speak English, you're speaking like with, I don't know what the number is, but it's like 300, 500 sounds. Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe not that many, but like, let's say somewhere from around 100 to 250, mm -hmm. like the conservative estimate. Mm -hmm. You go to Japanese, 
you're speaking around 50 sounds. Right, right, because they only got the five vowel sounds. It's it's like it's much less than half. Yeah. So it's it, it would often felt like it often felt like I was kind of saying the same sounds over and over. <laughs> I never thought of like thought of it that way, but yeah, that's kind of that's true. You are like only spitting out certain vowels all the time, and there's you know the consonant consonants. And there's still not that many of those either. No, not that many. So that, yeah, that's that was tough. But <laughs> and that also like having kanji in the language and the language, kind of like evolving with kanji, mm -hmm. it made that like even worse. Like because, like Japanese through the years has lost sounds. Like there used to be even more, but I guess because of kanji, they don't need as many. Like e used to be ye, like, right? Like yebisu, like like they used to differentiate between. Yeah, they I think they differentiated between like there was two there was e and then there was yet. Right, and now it's just both sound the same. And I, I can't help but feel that like the reason that they can lose sounds is because if you're a Japanese person with a knowledge of kanji, you don't have that much need for variation in sounds. Right. And it's not, yeah, and I mean, as long as you have context, even words that sound the same, it's like you just have the, as long as you have the context there, they really lean heavily on context. That's the thing too, like connecting that, like the whole read the air thing. So for the listener, like in Japan, it's this big thing, like read the air, just kind of know what's going on without being explained. Right. That's what that means. I wonder if the fact that that became such an important part of Japanese culture is because of the language. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I never thought of it. Like they're that. all they're all morphing and evolving together on this small island for 2000 years. And yeah. you have you have this language that relies heavily on context and not on sound differentiation. I think the language itself this is just my bullshit theory, but the <laughs> language itself influenced the culture. I can see how that could yeah, that sounds kind of a good theory. Because yeah, if you're leaving out the subject in a sentence all the time, people don't yes. know what you're talking about. So it's like, okay, we got to put importance on reading people's minds here. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're not good at reading my mind. It's like, okay. But right. that's, that's an important thing. So, of course, they have to do something that's like, okay, our language is limiting us. What are we going to do? Okay, we got to make this an important thing, you know? That's one of the first things I was taught about Japanese. I was, I was Somebody said, in Japanese, they don't say I, you, he, she, or it that much. Right. And I was like, how the fuck do they talk then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Every day it's just like, eat, go, <laughs> go to the library. But it's, it's, it feels very implied, though. It's like you can, you can almost hear them right. saying it even though they're not saying it. Right, right. It and that's feels actually something... like it's there. Right, right, right. And that's actually something I've had to really, really work hard to deal with because, like I said earlier... I've always been in my own world. <laughs> I've always been in my own little world since I was a kid. Like I'm not really good at understand like 
paying attention to my surroundings. So when I came to Japan, everything's going over my head. I'm not reading the I'm not reading the air, as they say in Japanese.、Uh, and so that really, I really don't like it because of that. I, that's one of the things I don't like about living here is because of that. I mean, it's just a little thing, but it was just a big thing for me. No, I mean it's huge because whenever you use, whenever you're an English speech, speaker, like pronouns are half the language. Yeah. That you're using, or yeah, pronouns. So to say that like they don't use that,、uh, it's 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 like kind of shocking at first. But then、yeah. it's it's not even just that. Like it'll be even you know the whole indirectness and right、uh, there's that. Yeah. Yeah, even that. Like like I can't understand if someone's saying, "Um, it's hot in here" or something like that, and I'll be like, "Yeah," and then but really they're like thinking, "You go turn on the air conditioning." That's what I'm saying it for. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. But right. I'm not. I'm just. I, that doesn't click with me. I'm just like kind of sharing it. It's like, yeah, it is a little hot in here. Yeah, it's like, that's it. That's it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that.、Um, yeah,、uh, that stuff is hard, man. But it's it's surprising how much you can get used to it as well. Yeah, I've definitely gotten a lot used to it. I've actually gotten to the point where I I can read what people are what people mean, but sometimes. I, on purpose, I will act like I don't understand because sometimes I don't like the indirectness, and I want people to be more direct.、Right. It's just, it's just kind of, it's not very. I mean, I understand maybe it's their culture, but some people I just think it's going too far, and I'll, I'll pretend like I don't understand what they're indirectly trying to say, just to try to make them say something. You know, just be like,、right. it's like, come on, let's. That's、Come like on, just a, get the ball rolling here. You can do it. <laughs> that's a uniquely Japanese problem. I feel like. Yeah. What do you think is like the biggest misconception about Japan that Americans have? Because, like, I I hear some of the stuff sometimes living in LA. Hmm. Um. Big misconceptions. Ah.、Uh... A lot of the conceptions are true. <laughs> like I, I, is that a word? Can, can you say conception by itself? But yeah, like a lot of people say all the time is like, "Oh, the women in Japan are so beautiful," and I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.、Um, food is great. I agree with that.、Uh, let's say what else.、Um, oh, one thing is there's. Like everyone's really nice. There's no, there's, you'll hardly ever run into rude people, and I think that's kind of a misconception. Even though on the whole it's kind of true relative to a lot of countries, and but I still think it is a misconception because you'll definitely run into rude people. I would, I run into rude people every day. I can see rude people. I can see rudeness happening every day, and. I think that's kind of a misconception, and yeah, I think people just. There's, there's an interesting point there. Like, it feels like when a Japanese person is just kind of nice to you on the street in、mm-hmm. Japan. Like, I feel like if somebody was nice to you on the street in America, they you might start to think that you're friends. 
Like we oh. might we like it, it feels closer, but like in Japan they'll be they're nice to you of course, but there's no closeness there either. Like it I, I don't right. know how to describe it. It's like there's no possibility of you becoming friends right there. All right. Like, like they'll help you out but don't expect them to like do anything other than like help you out like right there right unless they're trying to get you to teach them english that's right. the only exception but but yeah you're right yeah in america everyone's like super friendly to the point where it's like you'll be lined up at a cash register and the guy behind you will start being like hey man and they'll just be like start talking to you and they'll tell you their life story and they'll right be, like, right right it's like, hey, yeah, we should. Uh, hey, you want to go hang out sometime or something like that? I mean, that's doesn't always happen, but it could. It's very. It's more possible here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the biggest thing that I've noticed is that like the one of the like big mis misconceptions about Japan, I feel, is that it seems like Americans really think that the Japanese are like sexually deviant. <laughs> really? The whole like the whole like panty vending machine thing comes up oh, a right. lot, and it's like I tell people like I lived there for three fucking years. I never ever saw a panty vending machine, and also you have to like go to a red light district anyway. Right. And on top of that, they can't be too sexually deviant because they're not fucking. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is a good point about the that is a good misconception because yeah. Uh, I'll, people in japan i mean it's no one's talking about that kind of thing i mean no one's running around people don't just run around and like <laughs> i don't know no one's what am i trying to say there's no weirdos just sexual deviants running around i mean sure there are but i mean most people here they don't want to they don't want to talk about that kind of stuff they don't i mean people don't get around and watch porno together or anything like that it's yeah i think it's i think it's just like like they, like they, the they, dirty magazines just... dirty magazines on the shelves they're just like kind of accepted because it's always been there even though i'm sure a lot of people don't really think it's good right they just accept it because it's they grew up with it being that part of the culture even if they don't they probably don't like it i'm sure lots of parents and just people in general would be like yeah, that's probably not a good thing but what eh. are you gonna do <laughs> it's all softcore anyway i mean the stuff on the shelves i don't know is it hardcore well, too seems like it <laughs> oh, wow. i haven't been able to, i haven't looked because they're usually taped shut right 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 you have to buy it <laughs> right but i mean i don't know from the cover it doesn't seem well i guess it would be soft it just depends on what you consider soft and hard but I guess that relatively to the whole world, it would be soft. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, I think it's just so. Usually, anyway, as far as I know, they're just showing woman's breast. Right. And there's no like sex happening, as far as that's I know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Like there's, it's it's like it's like the panty vending machine, and just like they think that every Japanese person has a crazy fetish. Yeah. It's like. Why, why? Where did this come from? Why do people have that? Just because of the panty vending machine thing? Just, yeah, articles. If you read an article and you read more articles about it later, it's you're just 
you'll just start to think probably it's like oh just it's just on the street uh out, so it's normal or something you know but it's right. not really i don't know i don't get it yeah. <laughs> and then they have the articles about the sex uh festivals oh so that, with like that the the, the, the dick festival too. yeah that shit's just kind of funny though yeah i wouldn't even consider that if they're thinking that's a fetish that's kind of weird but that's it also, kinda... it's kind of a case of uh, kind of like not understanding another person's culture as well. And if you're mm -hmm. from like the Puritan Christian society and you see a dick festival, you might think that's <laughs> a little weird, but I don't know. Right. I think that's, it's fine. Yeah. But it, w it might uh, affect someone's opinion about Japan and a bit. Right, think, right, right. Oh, the vending machine stuff makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They worship dicks. Yeah. <laughs> well, many oh, women that... and gay men do worship dicks. <laughs> For the record, I've never been to one of those. Apparently, it's gotten popular with, like, gay foreign dudes as well. <laughs> they go there to, like, you know, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a vagina one? I think so, yeah. Really? Yep. I remember seeing an article about it, I think, recently. Vagina Fest 2017? <laughs> so, um, I don't know, man. I guess we're about done. Um, okay. Did you have any questions for me or anything? Um, no, I don't know. I didn't think about that. Uh, <laughs> I usually catch the interviewee off guard with this question. <laughs> um, so who's usually there with you? You said in the beginning some of the guys weren't around. Oh, so yeah, this is called Superhouse Podcast, and it's mm -hmm. with other Superhouse members. And what Superhouse is, it was basically a house that we had in college. That's all it is. And we called it Superhouse because we wanted to name our house. Oh, okay. We've been 10 years away from each other, just about, yeah, 10 years this year, and we decided to kind of get together and talk about shit. And what's weird is, like, not much has changed. We're having <laughs> the same fucking conversation, just with new material. That's cool. Uh, I wish I could have... Go ahead, sorry. I wish I could have kept up more with friends from college. You can with the internet, bro. Yeah, that's true. We just kind of never really did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had like a pretty crazy last year, and I guess we got together from all that. I mean, we just kind of meet online. I don't see him a whole lot in person. Yeah. One dude lives in Latvia, man. He's calling in wow. from Latvia. Jeez. Yeah. So, it's generally like we talk a lot about comic book movies and news and mm -hmm. uh, video games and stuff like that, but I do like mm -hmm. to add in like the travel slash culture segment mm -hmm. as well. I mean, we interviewed a guy that lived in Mongolia. He was an English mm -hmm. teacher in Mongolia. Um, another, we interviewed one of our friends that was a what they call a third culture kid, where she was, she was of Japanese descent, born in Japan, but she lived all over Southeast Asia. Mainly, it seemed like India and Thailand, but in Eng American English school. So her story was interesting and Hmm. stuff like that yeah. so I try to we try to like you know mix it up 
Yeah, that's that's cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm big on like trying to like connect pop culture with actual culture mm -hmm. to see if there's something where you can like make connections because a lot of Japanophiles they've they've kind of done this naturally where they they start out liking anime but then they might like I don't know like a festival in Japan or origami or something like that you know like an actual cultural element yeah martial arts or something so right you, you, you did you, like a lot of japanophiles they do make that jump where it's from it's from pop culture to real culture yeah that's something i actually never did i'm kind of different from a lot of people there's so many other foreigners they'll come here and they'll be like really into like certain aspects of culture and i'll sit here and i'll just be like i don't really care about much like i just <laughs> basically i just live here and I'm not really into culture. I only really, really loved learning the language. And now I'm done with that. So right. now that that's done, I'm just like living here. And that's pretty much it. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't like Japan. I love it. And I love living here. And I love a lot about it. But I'm not like into anything anymore. You know, <laughs> you're not like going to temples and shit. Right. I'm not going to temples or onsens. I'm not ramen shop jumping I don't know if that's even a thing but it probably is a, being a foodie or whatever yeah <laughs> it's funny how you're like you're kind of a homebody but you also like live in a, another country right that's pretty much once I make I'll make a jump but then I'll make that new place my home and then I'll, I'll be the same again you know alright interesting bro well I think that's going to do it. Alrighty. Thanks for doing Th this, man. Yeah, and sorry that we couldn't do this earlier. No, it's being fine. Able to make, make it happen. <laughs> you came in at a great time, and uh, also, like, just to, again, explain, we kind of did this, like, last second. Like, literally two hours ago, I Facebook messaged him. I was like, hey, you want to record something? And he, needed, you were like, yeah. <laughs> that, pretty much, that pretty much was it. Yeah, it was good timing. Well, it was, yeah. I was actually scheduled to do something with my kids this morning, but that got canceled. So then, yeah, we're just sitting here. So it's good timing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I think it's going to do it, bro. All righty. All right. Thanks, man. And okay. I'll talk to you on the net. All right. See you on the interwebs. All righty, man. Later. Bye. Network.